Hello and welcome to tonight's Leap of Faith in a week where many worshippers observed Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent in a very different way from previous years by collecting small envelopes of blessed ashes from outside their parish churches when out for their daily exercise. Dublin's Catholic Archdiocese published a do-it-yourself guide to producing ashes for Ash Wednesday. Some burnt last year's palm branches, others took ashes from an open fire grate in the home or took some clay from their garden. Later in the programme, we'll hear how some people are using Zoom to meet for centering prayer and meditation every evening at six. But first, more than 50 Irish faith leaders have signed a statement condemning the persecution of Uyghurs and other Muslims in China, which they describe as one of the most egregious human tragedies since the Holocaust, representing a case of potential genocide. The statement was the initiative of Keen Flaherty, and one of its signatories is the Reverend Myos Ancodo Kilroy, Abbot and teacher, Zen Buddhism Ireland. He joins me from his home this evening. Ian, welcome to the programme. What was the impetus for this particular statement at this time? Yes, well, the uh, Michael, this statement uh, is timely because, I mean, there was some uh, excellent investigative work done recently looking at the Uyghur situation in uh, northwest China particularly the BBC investigation recently, which really has shone a light on the the desperate situation of the Uyghur people in in, uh, in the Xinjiang territory of, of China. Uh, and uh, the New York Times revealed big international companies were using uh, essentially slave labour by the Uyghurs uh, for the production of their products. And to think that people in slave labour in 2021 are involved in making these these uh, products under duress. It's it's shocking. Well, as faith leaders, you're neither activists nor policymakers. So, what can you hope to do with this particular statement? I think what faith leaders do do, as you say, we we, we are we don't make policy and and we're not engaged in uh, as activists. Although some some of us are, I presume, in some ways, uh, in, in in various spheres of life. What faith leaders represent is a set of values. I think that uh, in the Dublin City Interfaith Forum, for example, uh, we found a lot of commonality in the various religious traditions that we all represent and a commonality in values. And these are values around human dignity, uh, values around human rights. It's important that as faith leaders that we represent and we, we try to articulate those val- values in the public sphere. There's also, of course, though, in the wording of the statement, the idea that, that you can't really remain silent. No, there is, there is a, a requirement of witness for many of us of faith. Uh, the idea of witness is important across all uh, religious traditions. And I mean, silence, silence is, can be construed to, to uh, support an injustice if one remains silent. So it is absolutely imperative that one articulates clearly when there is something something that needs to be objected to. Thank you, Reverend Moisan Kodo Kilroy. Earlier this week, BBC World News was banned from broadcasting in the country by the Chinese authorities. China has criticised the BBC for its reporting on coronavirus and the persecution of ethnic minority Uyghurs. Earlier this month, the BBC published a report featuring interviews with Uyghur women who said it had been systematically raped, sexually abused and tortured in China's re-education camps in Xinjiang. According to estimates, more than a million Uyghurs and other minorities have been detained in camps in China. China has consistently denied allegations of human rights abuses and genocide, stating that the internment camps are vocational training centres designed to counter Uyghurs' extremist activities. 
Well, someone with an insight into the Uyghur situation in China is Dr. Tim Gross. He's Assistant Professor of China Studies at the Rose Hillman Institute of Technology in Indiana, and he joins me now from his home. Tim, welcome back to the programme. What does the Chinese government fear? Um, you know, that's that, that's a great question. Um, and, and in terms of it, it, it's almost as if they created their own fear uh, and using the, the words of, uh, of Sean Roberts in his book, The War and the Uyghurs, that they've essentially have a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I think that they want to um, convince the world uh, and definitely other Chinese citizens uh, that Uyghurs pose a threat to the sovereignty of China. Uh, and that Uyghurs themselves pose a threat because of these, again, almost imagined connections to Islamist groups, to the, the safety and security uh, of China. But uh, in reality, um, there, there's really not much fear in terms of the Uyghurs uh, and uh, their ability to coordinate and organize any sort of mass insurrection that would um, you know, threaten Chinese stability. So I think what what really at the heart of the matter uh, is the Chinese Communist Party has lost patience with an ethnic group, the, uh, 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 an ethnic culture that's grounded in Islam um, that is reluctant to assimilate into to Chinese culture. Now, for many years, scholars like yourself and indeed our organizations have been indicating that we know something is happening in the Uyghur region and to the people there. Uh, China's reaction recently was, of course, to shut down the BBC uh, in, in, the, in the country itself. Um, do they care what the outside world think or would there be an attitude culturally that is what happens within our country stays within our country and mind your own business? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think they're speaking out of both sides of the mouth. So um, again, you'll 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 hear spokespeople often say that you know internal matters are China's matters, and, and no one needs to interfere. At the same time, they're controlling the narrative of what's going uh, of what's coming out of China. Again, with the, the recent um, uh, censorship of, of of BBC, but even on a more local level, um, you know, I often post blogs from Chinese cadres who are living with Uyghurs uh, and who are documenting um, uh, mass incarcerations uh, and, and home surveillance. Uh, and there's someone in China who are seeing these posts uh, that that uh, I share uh, and are deleting them, scrubbing them from the internet. So certainly they care even on a micro level of what sort of information is, is coming out of China and being shared with the rest of the world. Uh, and I think of course the 2022 Olympics have something to do that, um, uh, you know, not 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 as much as the 2008 Olympics would as as China's you know kind of coming out uh, to the world party, uh, but there's still a lot of I think symbolic importance to the 2022 Winter Olympic Games, uh, and certainly Beijing wants to see these games go on without it without a hitch. And as as pressure mounts um, uh, for the Chinese Communist Party to change its course uh, in Xinjiang. You know, we see growing momentum for a boycott of the games. I think uh, the Chinese Communist Party will do everything it can to avoid a boycott of the games uh, as long as it doesn't necessitate changing its course with what's going on uh, in, in Xinjiang. So I think that's why they're really trying to control the narrative of, of what's going on there. What guides you uh, as a scholar in this area towards the authenticity of information that you're getting? In other words, uh, how can you check against being played by one side or the other? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's been um, 
really my 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 strategy to just use the Chinese Communist Party's own documents and own words against them. Uh, in other words, you know that there are far few victims that have uh, been able to escape uh, China uh, and escape these re-education programs. I don't have uh, access to these individuals, nor do I know how to really, you know, kind of digest and interpret victim testimony. So uh, I'd rather, so I stick to Chinese uh, communist party sources, especially uh, individuals, these kind of grassroots uh, cadres who are on the ground in Xinjiang. Uh, and, you know, I, I simply uh, translate what they've written. And there's very little, uh, I think, room for interpretation or, or misconception uh, of what's going on there. Uh, and so in other words, I, I want the Chinese Communist Party to tell their own chilling story, story to the world using their own words. How worried are you about what is happening there right now? No, extremely worried because we've seen um, these very aggressive and violent policies uh, now uh, for for four straight years, uh, going into its its fifth year, uh, and so we're seeing the severing of generational links and a severing of the transmission of cultural and religious and linguistic knowledge through these generations, um, and. I, I don't know how long Uyghur culture can sustain itself as it as it flourished before 2016 if these policies continue. Uh, certainly they can't uh, within the region now known as Xinjiang. Uh, the, the burden will have to be placed on the shoulders of, of diaspora communities in, in Turkey, uh, elsewhere in Europe, North America and Australia. Tim, we mentioned earlier on the statement where more than 50 Irish faith leaders have signed uh, a statement condemning the persecution of the Uyghurs. And, you know, there, there's a vocabulary in there uh, about the Holocaust and never again. Well, I'm curious about, I suppose, what they're le leaning us towards is the idea we can't stand by idly. So what is available to people who are engaged by this topic? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, I think that uh, we do see... Um, Gleams of optimism coming out from civil society uh, and uh, civic leaders and faith-based leaders, and they're, they're really trying to do their best to put forth a concerted effort to make sure that the violence in Xinjiang uh, doesn't extend to a different level where we do see, um, you know, mass mass death. And I think that this is. Uh, absolutely uh, essential. Uh, and certainly amongst my, my Uyghur colleagues and friends, they often repeat the mantra, you know, never again, never again. Uh, so yes, I think that as, as citizens of the world, we should do everything we can to make sure that this uh, that this crisis is um, receiving the attention uh, that that it deserves, uh, and that we can do everything we can, you know, in terms of being um, conscious consumers, uh, contacting our politicians, uh, maybe even advocating for the boycott of the 2022 Olympic Games to make sure that we don't see a ramping up of the violence against Uyghurs. Dr. Tim Gross, thank you for joining us on the Leap of Faith tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. For many of us, one of the distinctive experiences of the last year has been the video call. Long sessions on Zoom, Skype or Microsoft Teams make up the day of those not working on the front line. So when we heard of a group of up to 100 people who gather online every day at 6 for silence at 6, we wanted to find out more. Hello everyone. Welcome to Silence at 6 today. To all you beloved friends. So as usual, a light candle just to mark the start of this intention that we have to 
lay aside a time to be in the presence of God, lay aside our busy lives for this short time we have together and uh, allow God's presence and action in our lives. So now I will ring the gong and we will begin our silence. The ecumenical sessions are led by John Farrelly and John, along with one of the group's members, Terry Coonan, join me now on Zoom. You're both welcome. John, what happens at Silence at Six? At Silence at Six, Michael, uh, we meet at six uh, every day. And uh, whether that's at six o'clock Irish time, but it could be midday in the US or it could be another time at another part of the world because we have people who join us from all over the world. And uh, initially we welcome everybody. We light a candle to symbolize uh, our intention to be together and to uh, symbolize the presence that we're coming into, which is the presence of God. And then the guide will settle people for a time of uh, silent prayer, which is 20 minutes. So we we sit in silence for 20 minutes and together and then we uh, end that silence uh, with, a, with a gong we recite the lord's prayer the guide recites the lord's prayer and uh, we then open the space for intentional prayers and then we uh, say our goodbyes um which is one of the most wonderful moments of the whole the whole thing um when we open the mics up or everybody opens their mic and just says one unanimous goodbye to each other hello goodbye it really is you know so it's wonderful i i had the uh, experience of joining you the other evening mm-hmm. uh, to observe what happens during your your silence at six and my observation was uh, it's, it's slightly strange as well because it felt weirdly intimate to be mm-hmm. in so many people's homes at the same time mm-hmm. yeah it's it's uh we said from the very beginning we don't know how this works um we don't know what what piece of magic dust uh, has has entered into it we we say it's the holy spirit at work um but uh it it just works it, it's been an incredible uh insight in, into into it and i think that is it i think we're we're, we're joining each everybody in in their homes which is which is just wonderful you know and one of the people on on the call at six uh, for the silence is Terry Coonan, who also joined us on our call this evening. Uh, Terry, your your experience of it, I, did, did I capture that idea, as you say, of um, that, that being strangely with 90 people together online can yet at the same time seem quite personal? Good evening, Michael. Absolutely. It's just the most beautiful, intimate group. You know, we're a real family, a community. I find when I sign on, I have a look. And if I don't see a face I'm expecting, I'm kind of going, I hope they're okay. You know, and there's a real, most of these people, I don't even know their names, but I feel as if I have a really, really good link with them and a connection with them. It's fabulous. Just wonderful. Connectedness, I suppose. The strange part, too, is to find yourself online on a Zoom call for 20 minutes of silence. That's a bit of a challenge, I'm guessing. Well, 20 minutes of silence is a challenge for me, as anyone who knows me would attest, because I'm much better at talking than I am at being quiet. But it is, it is. But yet it works in the strangest way, amazingly. And what if you are not the best at meditating? How do, how do you get, how do you learn from the process? Well, I've learned to to be kinder to myself, Michael, to not expect initially when I started meditating and I've been nipping in and out of meditation for years, but always going, I'm useless at this. I have to stop doing this because I'm really bad because in my head, I thought I'll stop thinking, which of course is ridiculous. We never stop thinking. 
but I've learned to be kinder to myself. Let the thoughts come and go. And occasionally I drop a little bit deeper <laughs> and I get to be in that lovely presence of God. But it's fleeting. It's not, I'm not there for the 20 minutes. John, or you're talking about the idea itself and, uh, and we mentioned people will find themselves on a Zoom call. But how exactly is it organized? Uh, there's um, we, we gather on a platform called the Online Meditation Chapel, Michael, and uh, initially we were doing it through a personal Zoom account, um, and uh, then I became aware of this uh, space called the Online Meditation Chapel, which has four different chapels, and, and we take some space in one of those chapels called, called the Wisdom Chapel. And um, the, the Online Meditation Chapel, uh, they've themselves seen an incredible expansion in uh, registrations to, to this space. I mean, I think uh, at the beginning of March uh, in uh, 2020, they, they would have had maybe 2000 people who used the space and, and all of a sudden it went to 6000 over the course of the year uh, and from 40 groups to 150 groups of, of which we are one, you know, so um, COVID really brought a massive resurgence in, in this uh, online prayer space. You know? um, so, th and, and then people are on our mailing list and we, we do little retreats or extra special prayers uh, like the one uh, for Lent, uh, we can let people know. Uh, so they, 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 have, they sign up to our mailing list and we just give them bits and pieces of news. And then they just arrive, they're registered on, on the meditation chapel and they just arrive at six o'clock. Have you sensed amongst the, the people who were on the call, and as we said the other evening, there were up to 90 people in the process, uh, an element of isolation or loneliness for people during the pandemic? Oh, uh, uh, overwhelmingly, the feedback that we get through emails, which people send all the time, is that this is what this space has done for them. It has become a space of connection, a place of connection where before they didn't have one. And, or that they'd lost what they had, whichever group uh, couldn't meet anymore face to face, whether it was men's sheds or 12 step programs or other types of groups where people were meeting, they, all of a sudden it was gone and, and prayer support groups. And that's the feedback that we get is that you've, you've given us a place where we can come and be in community and reach out to people and be together. And uh, it's become an anchor point to people's day. You know, it really has. Terry? Yeah, I would agree completely, Michael. I find it's like a balm for my soul. That's how I describe it. And I'm at home with all of my, my two children and, and my husband are here. So sometimes I just need to be in a room that doesn't involve the rest of the family, which is lovely. And it's, it's like a magnet. I'm just drawn back. I arrange my day to make sure I'm free at six o'clock to be part of the silence at six. John, does this bode for the future of people practicing their faith? Because we know, of course, obviously, during lockdown, people haven't necessarily been able to attend churches or chapel and that they've uh, they've had to go into the online environment. And people are sometimes a little bit worried about that. Are you reasonably positive about this this technological space? I think so, Michael. Um, I mean, very early on, I, I would have questioned how long can this can this last, you know, um, and will it last? And all I've seen is it growing. You know, every day I see new names, new faces joining, new emails of people. How do we get into this? Um, so, yeah, I, I can see it growing. And, and uh, I, I think other groups will form from it. And I think uh, not from Silence at Six generally, but in general. And I think other ways of, of being online together um, will, will, will develop. It's a lay process, though, isn't it? It's uh, the, the, the people taking part and leading 
Yeah, this is a lay process. Yeah, every 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 person that's that's uh, facilitating and uh, is, is a lay person. Yeah. And fi- finally, Terry, for anybody listening this evening who decides they'd uh, they'd like to to try it out, what would your advice be to them? Oh, absolutely! Come along. You'll ab- you really will not regret it. It's the most welcoming community, and you'll feel the sort of magic of it when you when you join. Well, John Farrelly and Terry Coonan, thank you both for joining us. We're going to leave you this evening with a a little moment that you will hear at the end of The Silence at Six, when over 80 to 90 people all say goodbye together. Goodbye to both of you. Thanks, Michael. Thank Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, everybody. God bless. Safe home. Stay safe. Look after yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Sheila and John. Thank you so much. So much. So much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a lovely prayer session. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Bye. Mind yourselves. Thank you, Sheila. That was beautiful, Maria. I only got the end of it, but it was just. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Peace and many thanks. Thanks, Sheila. The voices of almost 100 people saying goodbye at the end of one of the Silence at Six sessions. And you can get more information on Silence at Six by going to meditationchapel.org forward slash getting started, where you can register as a user and you'll then receive a link to the Wisdom Chapel at six o'clock every day. Well, she's a broadcaster, journalist, a practitioner and advocate of Ayurvedic healing therapies and following a visit to India 20 years ago, became a hotelier in Kerala. Back in Ireland now for several years, her focus is now on providing wellness sessions online. Bibi Baskin, welcome back to The Leap of Faith. And it just occurred to me that in a week where we're told that we might be looking at the situation continuing for many more weeks, how can people find their happy place? Well, first of all, thank you. It's lovely to be here again. Uh, there, it's a huge question, Michael, and I'm not quite sure how to divide up the answer. But one of the, the tools that I find uh, most helpful would be practicing acceptance. What does that mean? That means that we stop fighting against this thing that's around us that we don't like, and it can be anything. And in the Western world, our language is very aggressive. We love fighting. We're going to fight cancer. We're going to never give up. We're going to fight to the bitter end. I have no time for any of that at all. I much prefer the gentler way of the East, which would be COVID is out there. We can do nothing about it except make sure that we're very cautious and stay at home and don't mix and do what we're told, basically, by the experts. But aside from that, we must accept that it's there and just try to engage with new things in our lives. And that's what I've been doing. And it's worked. Well, people may remember from your story that you did actually spend some time in India. And I'm, mm. I'm curious about some of the, uh, the philosophies or ideas that you've brought back, because you, you would be keen not to describe yourself as a guru. But at the same time, <laughs> you have picked up a, a fair amount of expertise, a, a house full of notebooks, I'm told. Oh, yeah, there's that. No, I'd say I'm more of a devil than a guru. You know, if you want to be a true guru, you've got to go and and wear a loincloth and live up on the side of the Himalayas or something. I'm just a normal person leading a normal life. But a great bit of advice I was given once actually by an Irish doctor who had a great interest in India and Indian medicine. Uh, He said, live your life the normal way, have your glass of wine or maybe more, but every so often stop. 
and put some goodness back in. So I didn't learn that in India. I learned that in Ireland. And yet I think it's one of the most powerful and useful things you can do. But of course, I, I learned a lot in India. One of the things I still have to laugh at, because you see, India is Mother India and Mother India is the boss. And you can come in on your big white charger with all your Western notions and mate you better just give up early. So I had to learn that lesson. And it came to me in particular with regard to rushing. Indians will not rush. They have it right. And yet I, I find when I came back home and still there are people working from home, but they haven't a minute in the day. They're still rushing madly. Well, that's bad time management and the wrong priorities. So I think that's one of the main things that I brought back from India. Several more, but that's a good one. Your work now or your life now, I'm not sure where the delineation is, and maybe you can explain that in a minute, uh, is around the no, area of clue. <laughs> is around the area of wellness. Uh, and you've thrown yourself wholeheartedly hook, line and sinker into social media. I did. And you know what? I'm so grateful. It was the best thing ever. Like a lot of people, uh, I haven't had any speaking events since last March. Uh, and there are so many people in that plight. And I thought, what can I do? I believe it's called now pivoting. You have to pivot, <laughs> dear, in your business life. Well, I'm not a great business person anyway. But I thought if I could create something that would bring in uh, a little trickle and at the same time might benefit other people. And thirdly, it would also be something I'd love to do. I mean, that's a mighty powerful trio of things. And so I set up a private group on Facebook and it's called BB's Happy Place. And, and in it, I teach meditation and we practice mindfulness. We have a mindfulness Monday. We have a wellness Wednesday. And it's a little safe place that you can come. It's less than a euro a day. So it does, it's not going to buy me diamond rings, but it'll keep a little income coming through. And it's a lovely feeling of being in touch with people who want to learn more and that you have this information to give. The other thing about uh, a little book, the Happy Book, Volume 2, I believe, is out there, and there's some great ideas in it, and, you know, you read through it and it inspires you, is that you often wonder about, uh, like, does BB ever have a bad day? And I was curious to see a post you put up on Facebook where you just said, I, I don't have the energy for meditation this morning, here's something else. So even even the best people will have a bad day a down day yeah of course we're we're everybody's human everybody has down days and bad moments but it's all about how you handle them and i always maintain that for example you and i could go and see the same film you might say oh that's a wonderful film i might say no i thought it was a bit weak it's the same film it's just two different reactions so uh, anything can life will throw in curveballs. We have no control over those things. And so what I do in a case like that is, first of all, you have to accept it. There's none of this, as I mentioned earlier, there's none of this, I'm going to fight it, or she's going to fight that disease. No, no, you accept it. And sometimes you just need to take that time out, Michael, and call it yourself for your own wellness. And then after that, you can give again to other people. Phoebe Baskin, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith. Thank you very much indeed. And you can find out more information about BB's online sessions at bbshappyplace.ie or on Facebook. Details are on our programme page, rte.ie forward slash faith. And that's our Leap of Faith for this week. Our producer is Sheila O'Callaghan, our broadcast coordinator is Charlotte Holland. From them and me, Michael Cummins, good night. <laughs>